0: Today's episode is sponsored by Generation UCAN. That's U-C-A-N. UCAN delivers smarter energy for athletic performance, workouts, and daily life. So why is it smarter? Why is UCAN's energy smarter? Well, it's steady and balanced without sugar or stimulants. So there's no heart racing highs and no crashing lows. Just feel good energy for the body and mind. So how did they do that? with their revolutionary Superstarch. Superstarch is a hydrothermally cooked non-GMO starch that provides a slow release of complex carbs to steady your blood sugar, keeping you fueled and feeling good. So listeners of this podcast, here's a special chance to try UCAN yourself. Visit generationucan, that's U-C-A-N.com forward slash same 24 hours and save 15% on all you can nutrition products and experience that steady, long lasting energy without the sugar crash. So, now on to the show. Today's guest on the podcast is four time Ironman Triathlon World Champion Chrissy Wellington. I'll admit I did a little bit of fangirl giggling and geeking out during this podcast, so you'll have to forgive me (laughs) for that, but Chrissy is a huge inspiration to me. I remember when I started in the sport of triathlon back in 2010 that I would buy the DVDs of the Ironman World Championships from 2007 and 8 and 9, and I would just watch them over and over. And Chrissy dominated those races. And I just, one, I couldn't fathom how anyone could or would want to do such a long race. (laughs) But I also was just in awe of her apparent kindness and her smiling and the joy she seemed to have from this very weird sport at the time. We had a great chat on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with her about motherhood and racing and why she chose to step away from the sport after her 2011 World Championship win. This is a huge treasure of an episode for me to get to speak to one of my all-time favorite triathletes and role models and my new best friend, you guys. She totally admits it on the show. (laughs) My new best friend. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with the Chrissy Wellington. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Chrissy Wellington. Hi, Chrissy.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm wonderful. I'm so excited to talk to you.
1: It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to schedule the chat for what seems like forever. So It it really has been a while.
0: I think we start, it's almost been a year, I think, since... (laughs) <laughs> persistence, persistence. That's persistence right. are key traits <laughs> you know all about that you know all about it so everyone is super excited to listen to this I kind of let let it out that we were talking today and so I know you have just been a pillar in the triathlon world and something someone that was very inspiring to me when I started out in 2010 and got to witness you know, the past recordings of your eight, oh, eight, oh, nine and or oh, seven, oh, eight and oh, nine Ironman World Championships. So for anyone who's listening and doesn't know who this fabulous woman is, she is a four time Ironman World Champion and just an incredible athlete and a mom. So which one is harder, Ironman or motherhood? <laughs> I have to admit it's motherhood. It is. Isn't and it and it, and
1: it I, th- I I don't want people to take this lo- the wrong way, but I think Iron Man was very much in my comfort zone. It mm-hmm. appealed to a lot of my kind of personality traits, and physiologically, I think I was um, uh, suited to the sport. Yes, of course, it was uncomfortable and painful at, 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 at many times, but. I I found that it was actually within my comfort zone and parenting is totally out of my comfort zone. I'm a a control freak and uh, I I, I like routine and I like regimen and all of a sudden this little being takes control (laughs) of your life and pulls all the strings and I think that, yeah, admittedly I found incredibly difficult. But Meredith, for me, it's just been, and I know that it's, this sounds very selfish, but it's, it's been an amazing growth journey as an athlete i was incredibly selfish mm-hmm. as a professional athlete i think we are incredibly selfish it's about the pursuit of our individual goal and as a mum those tables are are turned and i've i've learned how to be selfless yeah and how to put someone else first and that's a challenge it's it, not it, it an is easy a challenge. learning
0: process either I mean you know you need to do it but everything in you is like why is this happening
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely but they're both challenging of course they are but I'd, I'd say that, that, that motherhood is um, I'm is, is more challenging but even more enjoyable yes. And unlike an Iron Man, it never ends. <laughs> there's, no, there's no finish
0: line. There's no finish line. It does get better though. So how old is your daughter?
1: She's just over two.
0: Okay. So it does get easier. I mean, my kids are nine and ten, and they are so cool.
1: I, I've really enjoyed each stage. I'm we're really blessed that she was a very easy, content baby. We actually went traveling around the world with her for three months when she was nine months old. The the first year, uh, sorry, her second year of life, I found more challenging because she couldn't articulate what she wanted, yet this kind of plethora of emotions was coming right. um, to, the, to the fore. But now she can talk. Oh, wow. The yeah. whole world is opening up to her. It's like having a little friend. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. She's you know it's this constant commentary <laughs> of, of of things that are happening that make me laugh every single day. So I have to admit to to really enjoying enjoying the stage that she's at right now, and and trying to savor the moment. And I am so guilty. Meredith, as many of your listeners probably are, of, of always looking ahead, you know, the next goal, the next challenge, the next piece of work, what's happening tomorrow. And having a, a daughter, having a child really forces you to focus on that moment and really be present with them.
0: Do you think you learned how to be present and focused and enjoy the moment through your career as a professional triathlete? Because like, I know as a mom, it's taken me a lot of years to appreciate the moments. And I have a lot of regrets from when my children were little that I didn't like savor moments. I was too busy, like you said, looking for the next thing. So did you learn to be present and enjoy the moments when you were racing and winning or, or did that come later with motherhood?
1: It's a work in progress mm-hmm. for me. I think it started back when I was traveling and I started to almost force myself to actually be present and appreciate the moment that I was in, the country that I was in, the company that I was in. As I became older, I, I started working for the government, was caught, very much caught up in, in the world of work. And, and I think that that fast pace of life just wasn't conducive for me to, to, to sitting back and actually savoring that moment. And And then as I became a triathlete, I was doing both if that sounds possible like I was able to very much be in the moment as an athlete you cannot look too far ahead ahead when you're training when you're racing you have to be present be in the moment think about your form think about your your energy think about your your thoughts and controlling your mind and not get too carried away with yourself or, or let those thoughts take control of of you but all the same I think even when I had my most significant victories, I perhaps didn't sit back and savour them as much as I should have done, or I should have allowed myself to have done. Of course, I celebrated, but I was so intent on defending and, and, and repeating and improving that maybe I didn't realise, without wanting to sound arrogant, the significance of what I had I had achieved. And I think it's only now in retrospect, as, as the same with many of us, that we do sit back and we think, wow, look how far I came and, and look what I did manage to achieve. And, and that, that process, I think, is is really important, even if it is in, in retrospect, that we do sit back and actually, you know, take a moment to to give ourselves that pat on the back. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I think you can say you deserve a pat on the back, Chrissy. I think you can say that.
1: No. I wish I could reach my back now, but the the flexibility
0: the... Are you all frozen up like a dead Yeah, oh,
1: Absolutely. It's carrying what a child on kind of with one arm and hoiking my hip oh, up. I'm so totally true. out of it's out of way. Oh so true.
0: Gosh, I remember that just never ending pain across the back and the hip. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned um how important it was when you're racing to never get too far ahead of yourself and you also said controlling your mind this was one of the most asked questions um, that folks wanted me to ask you was how like let's ponder Chrissy Wellington's mental toughness and controlling your mind because that was where you really really shined I mean obviously you're you're Physical prowess was unparalleled, but your mental toughness, especially in your 2011 World Championship. So let's talk a little bit about your mental toughness and where you think that came from and how it developed. the
1: The, the characteristics and traits that that make an athlete successful are are varied and and different in in in, in different sports. But I really believe that for for triathlon no matter the distance we're doing an endurance sport and it's called endurance for a reason we have to endure and as a result mental strength really really does come into play and it's as much about having the mental strength as it is to as as it is having you know that that physical prowess that you talk about it is incredibly incredibly important i think for two main reasons firstly we need to endure, like I mentioned, the kind of the, the downtimes, the adversity, the pain, the discomfort, which, you know, we all will face at some point. And we also need to be able to motivate ourselves because we're not built with limitless, imbued with limitless amounts of motivation. They, it comes and it ends and it flows, you know, myself included, and we need tools and strategies to be able to, um, you know, Get that mojo firing, firing again when it lapses, and I use tools and strategies. Those two words very, very carefully, because yes, some people are built with more mental strength, for want of a better word than than others. They're driven, they're determined, they're capable of withstanding. Um, they don't, they can keep a you know a calm head when all about them are, are losing theirs. Um, to quote a famous poet, but <laughs> he. You you can also develop those tools and strategies, and is, that is part of training. That's right. part of training that people do not put in their logbooks. You know, you can have nice little columns: swim, bike, run. You might have one for kind of nutrition, maybe rest and recovery. If you're, you know, if you're really attentive to, to the to the detail, but no one has a column really for training the brain. And and you can. It's it's a weapon that can be trained, and there are tools and strategies that you can use. And I can go through some of those if, if you'd like. but Yeah, let's do, let's do me, like
0: a couple of them because I think that would be helpful for everyone, especially to know like some, some of them. the ones you Okay, use. so <laughs> positive
1: affirmations are very, very important. And it's dry and very cliched. We can choose to have negative self-talk or we can choose to have really positive self-talk. And it's amazing how that negative self-talk can impact us physiologically. Your head right. drops, your heart drops. So you, you need to fill your mind with with positive self talk. So every single Ironman, I want, I did, I wanted to quit. Every single Ironman, at some point in the race, maybe a few points in the race, there was a th- the thought of quitting. You know, pull to the side. It's not your day. It hurts too much. And there's that voice that I that I've developed that I can counter that with and positive words, positive affirmations, whatever they may be, are really really important. I used to write never ever give up and smile on my little race wristband. And I used to write it on the top of my water bottles as a kind of physical manifestation of Uh this mantra that I had. And that really, really is important. Breaking the training session, the journey towards the goal, or indeed the race down into manageable segments is really important. To take the example of an Ironman, I never thought of it as an Ironman. I thought I've got to get to that first swim buoy. Mm -hmm. Then I get then I get to the next point. Then I get out. Then I get on my bike. And I always saw the bike in kind of 40K increments. Um, you would do it differently, obviously, if you were doing a sprint or, or Olympic distance. And then the, the marathon was always ten lots, uh, four lots of 10K and then a little bit of change. So I broke it down. And when things started to get more uncomfortable, I break it down still further to get to the next stage station to try and, you know, overtake the, the, the person in front of me to get to a point where my friends and family were. You're continuously moving forward, but you're setting yourself those small stepping stone goals that you can kind of celebrate achievement along the way. And that's that's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, I think
0: you talked about that a little bit in your Life Without Limits book because I adopted it, and in one <laughs> of my races, I had broken it down. I, I tend to break it down into the swim, bike, and run, and then n- then when I get to the run, I figure out how to break it down further, but yeah. I had convinced myself that I was in the moment in the bike, and it was all I had to do to the point where when I got to the change tent, I thought I had convinced myself I was done. <laughs> And yeah. then I thought, oh, no, I still have to run. But then you reframe it and you start over again.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And that that's probably quite reinvigorating. Yeah. That reinfra- and, and realizing, actually, you know, I'm two thirds of the way there. Right. And it's that subtle uh, switch in perspective that's important. Right. Really, really important. So we used to do, it sounds like a lot, it is a lot, 40 times 100 meters in the pool. So that's 4K, mm-hmm. 40 times four lengths. And I used to do them and I used to get in. And I never thought of myself as doing 40 times 100. I get in and I think I'm doing five. Then I do 10. And when you get to halfway, instead of thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm only halfway. I've got another 20 to do. You think, awesome, I'm halfway. Right. I am almost there. And it's, it's that subtle change in perspective that's that's really, really important and, and can be very, very valuable. And lastly, I'd just say that training Is about learning to be uncomfortable. And I think people avoid that feeling of discomfort because it's scary. You don't want to feel uncomfortable. You don't want to question yourself. So in training, you might not push to your limits because of what might happen or how you might feel. But it's only when you start to test those limits in training, challenge yourself, be prepared, I don't like to use the word fail, be prepared to not achieve that goal on that particular day, but to try that will make you stronger, because you will, you will eventually achieve it. And then you'll be so empowered by that knowledge that you've overcome something that you've You've achieved something you didn't think was possible. And every race I did, I recall times in training where I did sessions I didn't think I could do, but yet I completed. Because there will be times in a race where you don't think you can finish. And if you can recall times in training or indeed in life where you've overcome adversity, overcome discomfort, then that is the most empowering and powerful weapon of all. I really, really, truly believe that.
0: So is that what kind of keeps you going as far as learning to lean into and love the discomfort? Is it the, the feeling of, yeah, that hurt, but I did it and I feel amazing? Like what gets you to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable? Just practice? Practice and
1: knowing how wonderful it feels when you achieve your goal, how gratifying it is, how inspiring it is to other people to watch, you know, someone achieve their their goals. Also, that not achieving them does not cause the world to fall apart. And contrary to popular perception, I haven't always won every race I've done, and I haven't always achieved what I've set out to do. And I realise actually, the world hasn't fallen apart. <laughs> it goes on.
0: My world fell on. apart when you retired. My world, Chrissy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm, so, I'm so sorry about that. Um, but I, and you, you fight another day. And that's really, really important to remember. So as long as you keep in your mind that I can continue to push the boundaries, if I don't kind of meet those goals in the first instance, that's okay. But I can keep I can keep trying. I can keep trying. And then I also realize that, you know, that that discomfort of testing those limits and testing those boundaries is ephemeral. It will pass, especially that physical discomfort. Will is, it, it will pass. It will, it will be over, and then that glory of achieving your goal is um, replaces replaces it. But there's so much to be said for stepping outside of your comfort zone and testing your limits. You know, doing little things that scare
0: you. Yeah. I just, just had this easiest. weird moment that I'm talking to you and it, it was like, I was looking out the window and I was like, Holy crap. I am on a podcast with Chrissy. <laughs> <laughs> I just had this like total fangirl moment. That's so funny. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. <laughs>
1: I, I so never weird. mind a girl crush. That's absolutely <laughs> <actually> fine. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just really, really believe that I wouldn't be where I am today. Had I not been prepared to step outside of my comfort zone, had I not, Prepared to try a triathlon when I couldn't even ride a road bike, I would not be sitting here today. I was a beginner once. I was the beginner that couldn't ride a road bike. I wanted to test my limits. I wanted to see how far I could take this new sport. And I often think back to, wow, what would life have been like had I not had the support around me and the inner willpower and determination to take that first step? and it'd be an altogether different different life that I would have that I've led and the story that I would have been telling. And that's a lesson to me going forward.
0: Yeah, because you never know what you're missing out on.
1: You don't. Meredith, when I, I won the World Age Group Championships, the World Amateur Championships in 2006, I was 30 years old, and I had a decision to make about whether or not to become a professional athlete. And many people would think it was an easy decision, but it wasn't. I had a career that I loved. I had job security. I had financial security. I had a home in London. And I was scared. I was fearful of failure. I was fearful of the unknown. I was fearful about what people would think. I was scared of not being able to support myself. I was scared of not knowing anything about this new sport of triathlon, really. After all, but, you had
0: just learned how to ride a bike.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> but, but sometimes we have to do the very thing that scares us because that's where the growing
0: starts (laughs) (laughs) so when you made the decision to turn pro what was your first like training season like
1: oh amazing and horrific in equal measure that i i joined a squad um coached by the uh infamous brett sutton who has a very unique authoritarian style of coaching but he thought the best way to um strengthen my resolve <laughs> strengthen my mind was to um encourage all the other athletes not uh, to treat me particularly well <laughs> so it made for quite an uncomfortable training environment I very much felt like I was a new girl at school and a, v- a new girl that was very much ostracized and excluded but I was also incredibly stubborn and determined to prove my worth mainly to him and I persevered and all of that changed upon winning my first world championships. But I initially turned professional only ever wanting to do Olympic distance. My, My aim was to try and qualify for Beijing, but quickly Brett realized that my talents lay in Ironman triathlon and I wasn't a skilled enough swimmer a fast enough swimmer to be able to compete with the very very best at Olympic distance and he thought that the possibility of me being able to compete with the best at Ironman was a lot higher and Brett didn't really ask me whether (laughs) I wanted to do Ironman career um (laughs) gave me the order and I was on the start line of Ironman career with my road bike with my regular regular wheels and my normal regular helmet and a pair of borrowed shorts from my teammate and uh, a nutritional strategy that was written on the back of a fag packet (laughs) and that was about it (laughs) oh my gosh I managed managed to win that race and the rest is the rest is history. Now,
0: it's you. I think it's in your book and I haven't read your book for a couple of years, but the first bike trainer session was that the one with the lights out? He made y'all go in a basement or something and ride for hours oh, Rhett, with uh, no lights.
1: Brett yeah. <laughs> has some um uh. unique um training you know training sessions. But that's and,
0: mental toughness right I mean if you can yeah, ride in the uh, dark for hours.
1: <laughs> he, he did he gave me a treadmill session down in what we call the dungeon and it was a little test session which I almost fell off the back of, of well I think I probably did fall off the back <laughs> of that treadmill because I'd hardly done any if not no treadmill running before but yeah, there were, there were a lot of kind of indoor sessions done um, in quite uh, challenging
0: <laughs> environments. I love it.
1: Um, and Hilary Biscay, and um, she was Bella Comerford then, Bella Bayless now, can can testify. They were, they're high-volume athletes. I wasn't a high-volume athlete. I was very much a quality athlete. Uh, um, quality over quantity athlete um they were high volume athletes and they were doing marathons on that treadmill in that dungeon kind of every weekend every other weekend it was must have been torturous for them (laughs) yeah again strengthening that that resolve and and also strengthening the mind to be able to cope to cope with boredom
0: yeah boredom very important (laughs) yeah so that's an interesting thing you just said about being um a quality over quantity athlete like if you're how how did Brett Sutton know where to kind of draw the line because I know there's so many different coaching strategies out there with you know you sh- if you do this if you do this race you need to run x x number of miles but
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: some people break at a certain point um and I mean physically, like with stress fractures and things um, after that volume. So how do you know if you should do more quantity or, or more quality and you're that kind of athlete? What what kind of let Brett know that about you?
1: That's a million-dollar question, um, and I think <laughs> that's, that's the secret makes, to the
0: universe. <laughs> uh,
1: makes some coaches so successful is that they have the ability to read the athlete. I I would argue that not just for professional athletes, it depends. Depends on your background, so your experience in the sport. So, if you've been in the sport longer, you have a what we call, you know, an endurance base. So you don't need to keep kind of topping that up, um, but you can then start to focus a lot more on on quality. So you could potentially reduce the volume and do higher quality work. If you're a beginner, an absolute beginner, just starting out, you will benefit from simply doing swim bike and run at roughly the same speed mhm and it depends on it depends on your physiology you know some people can withstand higher higher volumes they they can and other people like me don't and i'm not a sports physiologist and i wouldn't know how to you know identify those those different athletes but what i would say is if If you are looking to improve and you have that base, you need to be doing different types of training sessions. Your training program needs to incorporate training at different intensities. Otherwise, you will not get any faster. There's no point in just doing more volume at the same speed and expect to get faster. Eventually, you will plateau. So what you need to do is have the kind of steady recovery stuff, then the um, kind of endurance, and then you need the kind of higher intensity work. I'm, I'm simplifying it here, right. but the higher intensity work, the, the really short, sharp intervals that make your eyeballs pop out and make you feel like <laughs> you're falling off the back of the treadmill, right? right. Those are the things that are going to make you faster. It's that balance of those different intensities and, the, and, importantly, the rest and recovery in between that will enable you Progress. So it d- very much depends on your physiology, your goals and where you are um, kind of in your athletic development, in, in your athletic career.
0: So let's talk a little bit about 2011 and what happened leading up to that race. And I think I read somewhere that you said that was the hardest race of your career. Is that right? The last 2011? The it, was,
1: it was the most physically and mentally difficult. Challenging race of my career. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, what happened? And was it days prior or weeks prior? Uh,
1: two weeks prior. Two we, weeks. myself and my now husband, um, then boyfriend Tom, we lived in Boulder, so we were training in Boulder in preparation for Kona. And I'd had a really great season. I'd broken the world record at, at Challenge Roth in Germany, and I was feeling really strong in advance of Kona. And I, it was two weeks out on a Saturday, and. I was due to do a long ride with. uh, I was going out with maybe three three other guys, and about twenty minutes into the ride, we were going around a bend, and all of a sudden, my back wheel went. I know now that I had kind of a a a flat tire. Well, it's a and I was on the floor, and all of my left hand side was um, ultimately burnt. I mean, road rash. I covered in road rash, and I'd also. I didn't know it then, but I'd done some damage to my, my, my pec muscle and obviously a lot of a lot of bruising. But compared to what a lot of athletes have, have gone through, especially in, in recent years in terms of, of injuries, mine's pales into insignificance. For, but for me at the time, in preparation for the biggest race of my career, it was incredibly significant. And I was physically debilitated and, and mentally quite um, uh, unsettled as as well. I couldn't couldn't train for days and I was in about in and out of hospital and having my wounds scraped and and dressed I remember getting in the pool and trying to do a swim and got out well Dave Scott my coach and Tom my now husband had to to basically hoist me out of the pool I was in so much pain I could only do 25 meters and then I had to I had to get out and and that was 10 days before Kona so I delayed my flight and we went to went to Hawaii and I spent a lot of time in and out of hospital. I did manage to do some training. I didn't do a lot of swimming. Um, running was, was quite painful, but biking was, biking was okay. And I have to admit, Meredith, that in some respects, it was challenging. In other respects, it was liberating because I felt the weight of expectation leave me.
0: Uh.
1: I had no expectations as to my performance. And nobody else could have had any expectations as to my performance, not knowing, you know, the the situation I was in. So I almost felt liberated to just go out there and race. And I thought to myself, if I can race and I can finish, that's the story. That's the goal. That's the achievement. That would be amazing. And I realized that I, you know, I was almost crushing myself with that desire to win, Mm-hmm. And and not having that, I think, almost empowered me in that in that context. So I went into that race, like I said, just with the goal of of finishing it and showing people what I was capable of, even though I was, you know, at seventy or you know, eighty, not even that percent fitness. And the swim was a, a worry, and once I got out of the out of the water, um. I knew then that I could probably continue. And it was, it was incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable throughout, but it was the race I always dreamed of. It was a race within myself that I'd always wanted, that battle that I craved, where I overcome more than I ever felt possible. And that race with my competitors, where I came from behind. And where I had to play catch-up. And I, I think I was 22 minutes down going into the marathon. Oh wow. and that's racing. As a yeah. competitor, that's what I wanted. The time on the clock was meaningless to me. It's not the measure of success in a triathlon. For me, it was, I say this very carefully, it was the perfect race because I overcame imperfections perfectly. So we rarely get a perfect race. Triathlon by its very nature is is long and arduous. Things will not go perfectly. There'll be times where your goggles get knocked off, you you, you know, you might have a, an injury going into it, you drop some water bottles, you get a you get a cramp, you get a flat tire. These things happen. The key to having a perfect race is dealing with those as perfectly as you can. And that's why to me, although it wasn't the perfect race in the I felt the most pain and discomfort I've ever felt and it wasn't a fast time it was the perfect race and that's why I knew at that point I needed to retire and I could retire happy because I'd answered the ultimate question that I'd asked of myself and that's basically are you are you worthy of being called a champion And at that point, I knew then that I was and that I could retire knowing that I would never have a race that came close to that. Of course, I could go faster. Of course, I might win more races. But that didn't matter to me. What mattered was that internal feeling that I'd given something, everything and been the very best that I could be. And I knew at that point that that in triathlon context could have be bettered and that's everything so i've been searching for i'd found and that's really why i retired and and some people will understand and some people won't because they'd measure success by different criteria by numbers of victories or times yeah. and for me neither of those were the ultimate measure of true success yeah. Well, you
0: answered like a lot of my questions with that one. That's Sorry. amazing. <laughs> no, that's great. That's that great. Because a, a diatribe. Oh, you know, but... No, it's wonderful. It gave me chills. Um, I, one of the things you said was that you felt in that moment you, were, you deserved to be a champion, and that is just incredible. Because just to know that you left it all out there. I mean, that another question that someone had was, when do you know? enough is enough. And when do you know when to move on? And and you said that's when you decided to retire. And I think so many triathletes, even, you know, age group recreational, we just stick around and keep doing something in search of this better time or to beat so-and-so when really the answer of why we're doing it and why we want to keep going is in ourselves. And we've got to ask those questions of ourselves. Like, what will it take? What's enough? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And it's different for each athlete, professional or otherwise. So I don't want to pass judgment on what other people's choices are. But my life has been like a tree and has branched in many, many ways. And I've never been scared of change. And I think the easiest thing for me to do would have been to have continued as a professional athlete. Again, without wanting to sound arrogant, it was something I was good at. Mm-hmm. I was financially secure. Like I said, it was in my kind of personality, physiologically, phys- sorry, physiological comfort zone. You know, I had a partnership with with my with with my husband Tom. We did it together. It it was an amazing life. The easiest thing would would have been to have kept racing, but where's the challenge? The challenge for me was retiring. And wow coping with that process and we often can be scared of change and we've spoken about that you know earlier in the podcast we can be scared of change and I was scared of that change too but I knew that there was nothing else for me to achieve in the sport the challenge in the sport had dissipated I'd achieved what I needed to do and the real challenge lay outside of the sport and coping and carving out a life beyond professional triathlon and as an athlete a professional athlete you have to retire at some point (laughs) Some, you know some sooner than than others but you do you cannot keep going indefinitely so at one at some point in your life you need to draw a line and say I'm enough I've been enough I've achieved enough now I'm going to move on and achieve and succeed in in something else. You because always that's a scary my,
0: prospect. <laughs> well yeah. Well you know, what I was gonna say is you always seemed in racing, just you know, from watch from girls stalking you from afar, you always seemed to, you know, know who you were and you always seem to be true to yourself and by knowing it was time to walk away is just like another extension of that. I mean, it seems like you know you always knew exactly who you were and and you trusted your your instincts and and I think that's really amazing. To, that's to the right that. word as as well. Instinct. You just knew. You knew it was because just, I think
1: often we have we have that inner compass. I think we we do. And yeah. sometimes we're scared to, to be guided by it and scared to listen to it because those outside influences are very persuasive. You know, for a professional athlete, the the lure of money, the adulation, the 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 joy and exhilaration of crossing that finish line in first place. You know, all are uh, you know addictive. Right. The, the, the fear that you're going to be a nobody when you when you leave
0: do you miss it do you miss being you do
1: yes but i i miss i miss the routine because i enjoyed having that structured existence that focused on one goal something i could dedicate myself and my life when i was single and then our life as a couple too and I miss that self-validation that comes from being an athlete. You know, you get that pat on the back almost every day if you're, if you're doing well. Right. You know, you, you, you have that confidence boost all the time. And your sense of identity is, is, is wedded to, to that as well. I, I miss aspects of the training, although I don't miss training training. as much as I did, you know, even though I said I was a low volume athlete, you know, by any stretch of imagination, it's, it's, it's a lot of training. I know, we Um,
0: should probably clarify that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it it was,
1: it was a lot of training. Um, But I I don't miss that. But I miss the racing.
0: But just because you
1: retire doesn't mean you can't race and you can't enjoy racing. There's, there's opportunities that are out there to race and to get that same sense of, gratification yeah they might not take me to the top of the world but I can still achieve sporting goals but But, yes I I, I do I do miss it I do but is
0: that enough like let's be real can you just go to but even when you go do a race you still win it though (laughs) (laughs) so it's like talking to an alien never mind (laughs) like you know I mean, I would have I can't believe
1: those pesky Ethiopians beat me at the London Marathon last year. <laughs> I, I got so close. <laughs> you get your act together if you're going <laughs> to
0: beat Ethiopians.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've been slacking. Um, it, it's different because you have to see training and racing performance in the context of your life. My performance, for example, I entered the London Marathon, raced the London Marathon last year. My goal was very much shaped by the life that I was living the fact that I have a job I have a family a young daughter a social life that I wanted to maintain I have other interests I could not and did not want to dedicate my life solely to the pursuit of a arbitrary time goal at the London Marathon so I set what for me and what for most people is a really challenging goal but other people would have looked at it and thought wow she could have run 10 minutes faster but in the context of my life that was a challenge that was a really difficult goal to achieve and but you have to see it you know from the perspective of 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 your whole your whole life and and for me crossing the finish line at london and having our daughter at that finish line was as exhilarating satisfying and gratifying as it was to to cross that Ironman finish line because i'd achieved something as a as a mum and achieved more in that i could be a role model to her and a role model to other mums and show them what they can do in the context of their lives being mums having family having a social life having a work, you know a career all of those things. Yeah.
0: I mean, it really is. I know in, in the realm of professional sports, it's probably, you know, a different world as far as comparison culture and feeling like you're not enough, with, whether it's your body or your you as a mom or with your job. I mean, how has that been different for you being out of the sport? Do you find it hard to kind of keep your head head down and in your, you know, family unit and to not compare yourself, you know, just across the board. I mean, I know motherhood is so difficult. And um, how what, what's your take on being who you are and staying true to yourself and, and not comparing? I've, if
1: you talk about body image, I've had my challenges, I wrote about them in my first book um, with disordered eating. And I was worried that when I retired from professional sport that they would come back but I saw my body in a very different way so rather than wanting it to serve an athletic purpose and wanting it to look um, a certain way that was kind of emblematic of the fact that I was you know achieving an athletic goal I wanted a body that was capable of growing and nurturing another human being and so my goal Uh, when I retired was was to get uh, particularly healthy and and get a body that you know was, was capable of of you know having having a child and that was really really important to me so I think it stopped me from necessarily looking at my my former peers my former kind of you know professional my former competitors um with envy and actually actually looking at myself and and the goal that I had at uh, at that point in time was to, you know, to be able to conceive. So that was a very important kind of journey for me in appreciating my body for, you know, for what it could do for me in in different areas of of my life. But of course it's hard. We live in a society that's, you know, we're saturated with social media. We're saturated by, you know, a... People telling us what training they've done or posting selfies of what they look like in their lycra and you know we're constantly questioning ourselves and and, and what we're doing and two pieces of advice or two mantras that I have are be kind to yourself and you are enough
0: oh I love that
1: because I don't do either very well because I'm my own worst critic, and that's often what's, you know, propelled me to great heights. Right. But I have to take a step back and say, you know, you are enough as you are, and you have to be kind to yourself, and you might not do things well all the time, and you might not do things perfectly, but you're doing, you're doing <laughs> the very best that you can, and comparing yourself to others just really doesn't serve any
0: purpose. Well, let's talk about your new book, To the Finish Line, A World Champion Triathlete's Guide to Your Perfect Race. So what inspired you to write this book? And what are you hoping to accomplish when people read it?
1: Oh, this book is a labor of love. I'll explain why in the minute.
0: <laughs> I, I wrote my first book,
1: the uh, my autobiography. It's called A Life Without Limits. I wrote that when I was a professional athlete, actually. And luckily, it had the happy ending and although it was quite an emotionally difficult book right because I disclosed quite a few things that I hadn't disclosed publicly previously it was an easy process in that I could do it while I was resting and recovering as an athlete um and that book was published and I was really proud of of what you know what we produced and the the, the was you know the 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 comments that we received but whilst it was hopefully motivational and, and inspirational it was quite light on practical tangible training advice and over the course of my life not even my professional sporting life but over the course of my life I've kind of assimilated so much knowledge about various aspects of training Yourself to be the very, very best that you can be, whether it's triathlon or otherwise. And I delivered presentations, I'd written articles, I'd um, written columns for for magazines, ex, you know, talk to people, etc., etc. And I'd shared some of this knowledge, but I wanted somewhere, I wanted to put it all down in one place, right? And so I started to write, and then I started to write some more, and then I pitched the book to. um to a publisher and they thought that it was a great idea. And, and so the book was born. But the reason I call it a labor of love is that I wrote it while I was pregnant. And then in Esme's first year of life in between <laughs> I breastfed for, Oh God, how long, 15 months or something in between kind of feeds. Right. I was, um, And it required um, a lot of, Uh, help and support from from Tom my husband and Esme then without even knowing it kind of facilitated it so it really was an investment of our our family and that's why not only why but I'm really proud of what we've I've produced it it covers a range of different subjects related to preparing for um triathlon but not only triathlon so it should appeal to people whether they're a triathlete or not it's got obviously got uh, chapters on swim bike and run but it's got chapters on goal setting on sports psychology on what I call training the mind on pre and post natal exercise on nutrition on strength and conditioning rest and recovery race preparation race recovery and um uh, Finding a coach, all of these different things. Um, and so hopefully it will appeal to people no matter where they are on their journey and no matter what sport they're choosing to do. So it's also I hope a very beautiful book.
0: It. It's very pretty.
1: Um, we worked very hard. When you produce an autobiography or when you write an autobiography, the, the text is obviously the most important thing. And then you throw in about 10 pictures in the middle, <laughs> one of which. You know, it's got to be a view looking really um, suboptimal aged, about three. <laughs> but with a, with a training guide, the, the visual impact is, is very, very important. Not more important than text, obviously, but very, very important. So I invested a considerable, considerable amount of time in, in the design and in making sure that it was appealing Yes. Yeah, so it's people, a that it It's accessible. Beautiful. That really importantly used imagery that reflected the range of demographics that do endurance sport. And that's really important. If we want to inspire a range of different people to take up the sport of different ethnic groups, um, of different body sizes, of different backgrounds, of different abilities, of different genders. Then we have to convey that in our imagery, whether you are triathlete magazine, whether you are a triathlon website, whether you are my book. Right. And that's why it was so important to me to include a range of of imagery in that book.
0: That's why we're Um, best friends. I'm your chubby triathlete friend, see? (laughs) <laughs>
1: you've always got to have one in your You're contact like, here's
0: with. my friend Meredith we brought yeah. her along to encourage all of you who look like her yeah
1: I've ticked that box now yes I'm, I'm PC I'm good
0: <laughs> well I know you need to go get your baby girl I have one more question for you um, this podcast is called the same 24 hours and it came out of the idea that we all have the same 24 hours in our day but it's what we choose to do with those 24 hours that makes the difference between our health, happiness and success. So what is something that you do on a daily basis within your 24 hours that makes your life better? I kiss my husband and our
1: our daughter and tell them that I love them. Oh, It's so easy to get to the end of the day and think, actually, did I even look you in the eye and tell you that I loved you today? Oh, yeah. And it's so important. So I try to do it at the start of the day and really mean it.
0: Well, Chrissy, thank you so much. Um, You are a huge inspiration to all of us and best of luck with everything you've got coming down the pipeline. And
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity and thanks to everyone who's listened and all the very, very best with everything that um, you're seeking to achieve in 2018 and beyond. Thank you.
0: Hi everybody, before you go, don't forget to start your year off right check out nonsense.com. This is a new revolution that has started. And I am not joking when I say revolution because people are completely tired of the nonsense that is in their lives. And what I mean by that is it can be anything that you know is standing in your way of being your best self, but there is a set of sort of pledges and commitments at year nonsense.com that many of you guys have already taken the pledge and just saying, Hey, I'm, I'm starting this year off correctly the way that I need it. And it's going to be a year of no nonsense. So check out the website and take the pledge and we'll see you online.